0: Excellent. So look, I I think a couple minutes in, why don't I go go ahead and get started? Um, So thank you all for joining us tonight. Uh, Welcome to It's Time to Heal. Uh, For those that have joined us in the past, you'll know that um, uh, Time to Heal is our clubhouse room at A16Z to cover the future of bio and healthcare very broadly. And what we aim to do here is to have a very loosely structured uh, and interactive discussion. Uh, So for folks that, I may not know or may not know me uh, by way of brief introduction. I'm Jorge Conde. I'm a general partner here at A16Z, and with me here uh, tonight, I'm fortunate to have my um, other uh, uh, GP colleagues, Vinita Argowala, uh, Mark Andreessen, uh, Vijay Pandey, and Julie Yu. Uh, today, our special guest uh, is is my friend George Church, who is a professor of genetics at Harvard Medical School. Um, who's had an incredible impact on a broad number of fields like synthetic biology and genomics, um, and, a, and a much longer list than that. And in addition to being a renowned scientist, uh, George is also a highly or very prolific founder of companies, startup companies that emerged from the work in his lab, uh, many of which are represented by some of the folks in, in the room here tonight. And I myself was um, had the opportunity to co-found a company with George um, almost 15 years ago, uh, which I think aged George horribly. So George, thank you for putting up with me so many <laughs> years ago. Uh, and, and certainly thank you for being here tonight with us. Um, I just want to put a quick note out there for all the folks here that this com- conversation is being recorded. Um, for those of you that are interested in come up and chat or ask questions later on in the show. Uh, Please note that by doing so, you're consenting to us using your words and profile image and in a future recording related to this event. Okay, so why don't we get started? Um, George, we've known each other for a long time. And I think one of the things to me that's always been fascinating is how you think about the future and really what the future will look like and what, you know, the impact of advances in science and technology uh, will help, you know, how they will help shape that future. And about um, almost ten years ago now, back in 2002, you wrote a book um, called *Regenesis* uh, that described how synthetic biology would reinvent nature and would reinvent us as, as as a species, as humans. And you know, it makes me think when I when I read that book, it made me thought of something that um, people attribute to Bill Gates. They call Gates Law, which was a quote where he said, "Most people overestimate." what they can achieve in a year and underestimate what they can achieve in 10 years. So looking back nearly 10 years later after writing this book, uh, what do you think you got right? And what do you think you got wrong about how synthetic biology would shape us and the world around us?
1: Well, fortunately I didn't make too many predictions about timing. Uh, So, you know, (laughs) next year or 10 years from now or 50 years, but it, it, everything is going faster. Uh, let's start with what I got wrong uh, or didn't anticipate. Uh, actually, just two years later, I did a paperback version and had a chapter at the end on eight, eight things that weren't covered, including little little things like CRISPR uh, that weren't covered in uh, 2012. Um, but what I think that my biggest surprise since then was um, protein design. So. I, as a teenager, did energy minimization with with coordinates, uh, and that's and David, my good friend and colleague David Baker has has really run with this, uh, and we've run with him uh, on it. Uh, and so I was, I was a little surprised and some of my people said, "Well let's do uh, machine learning on this without using coordinates uh, or energy functions." And I said, oh, that sounds interesting, you know." You know, I've got 40 years to unthink. Uh, and it worked like a charm. We just published four papers, uh, uh, one with Google, um, and started three companies that were based on this, uh, which is Nabla, uh, Manifold Bio, and Dyno. Uh, and, it, and it just it works like a charm, just using uh, sequences. Plus, the, key, the other key ingredient uh, in addition to lots of sequence data, lots of machine learning, is uh, lots of synthesis. So it's anyway uh, that was something I think you could say it's wrong by omission. It was not mentioned in in, uh, in the book or Genesis. Something that was intermediate wrong was uh, chirality. Um, so um, you know made it, the book. It's one of its themes is is being able to make a mirror image world. Uh, we haven't done that in ten years. Uh, I didn't say we would. Um, we have made progress and we'll hopefully get a fir- you know, our first couple of papers are, are starting to come out already, uh, so that's good. Um, so And by the way, that- it's,
0: probably, it's probably worth to just take a second to, to describe wh- why is chirality, why is... Oh, the mirror, we're, we're the
1: right, right, right. I guess it's obvious why protein design is cool and machine learning, but yeah, chirality uh, is a way to make... we. By changing the genetic code, we can make we think any organism resists all viruses, and that that is actually also mentioned, and that is working out great. Uh, but with ch- chirality, changing the handedness of the molecules of the cell, you can make them not only resist every virus, but to e- almost every, essentially every pathogen, every enzyme, uh, and you can make a whole new set of chemistry, which is all the all the chiral and all the uh, you know, mixed chiral centers and so on. So that's why chirality is important. And we thought we had a shortcut where every day it gets uh, easier and easier. We see new, new um, paths, not shortcuts so much as pathways through it. So anyway, I think that's somewhere intermediate between not, not completely getting it right. Uh, you know, you might imagine we were more uh, optimistic but George,
2: um, arguably, those are details, right? Like, what about you know the more big picture stuff? Sounds like maybe that's more right than not. Uh,
1: we'll see. I mean, we'll, you know, it, it'll be a while before we see whether it's useful and and, uh, and so on. But one thing I think we did get right was uh, we had there was a big emphasis on multiplex editing. In fact, in a certain sense, multiplex everything, and and that's turned out to be true. We now have. Uh, lot of multiplex editing going on. Uh, it's it, At least a few uh, edits are used uh, in CAR-T therapy. But more importantly, we've now got pigs that have been engineered in 42 different places called Pig 3.0, and, uh, and there's 2,000 of them now that are alive and breathing and having a good time, except when we take their organs and put them in the <laughs> preclinical trials. Um, so and,
0: you, I mean, so you kind of got CRISPR, right?
1: You didn't... Edit. Oh, we, 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 yeah, we, we've done many different kinds of uh, editing before and after CRISPR. And, and certainly has started some nice companies with CRISPR, including Eugenesis, Editas, uh Intellia, and um, Inari for agriculture. But, uh, but, you know, Tessera is an example of a non-CRISPR uh, Transposon A-based new, new startup uh, flagship uh, that I've been involved in. Uh, so I think, yeah, the 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 point is it, not just editing one thing, which is what most people are doing with the editing, but editing multiple sites in the genome. I think that's that's uh, starting to take off. Our record so far is 22,000 edits in a single cell. Um, pretty much on target. <laughs>
0: So if you were if you were going to sit down and, and write the book, to, well, first of all, I should I should mention a factoid for this audience: this book um, had the most uh, physical copies in the history of books, correct? Because you uh,
1: encoded it in yeah, DNA. Yeah, still does. Yeah, seventy seventy billion copies. Yeah.
0: So how did you get seventy billion copies of this book published?
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> we encoded it into DNA, and. Uh, uh, and then it's, it's very inexpensive to make copies of, of DNA. Actually, uh, Sri Kosare, who's on the, I think I can see his icon on the on the screen here, um, was my mentor for that. He, he was the PI and I was the postdoc. Yeah. and we, and that, I didn't, that was maybe a, something <laughs> I, did, I underestimated where that was going to go. It's, it, it still hasn't delivered something of great use to society, but it certainly picked up a lot of momentum with the likes of Technicolor and Microsoft, and, and now a whole consortium involving Twist and so forth, um, that uh, seems to think that it's that it's the next big thing. But we'll see.
0: So, if you were going to sit down today and write the book again, right? So, if you're writing the tenth anniversary edition, you, you mentioned you updated it for the second uh, year after the paperback came out. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the next? What's the mind-blowing thing that you couldn't have imagined when you wrote the first edition? that you would write into the 10th anniversary edition?
1: Uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that machine learning for protein design is quite mind-boggling, uh, uh, but uh, it's probably the biggest surprise that I had personally. Uh, I think where uh, multiplex editing is going with making any organism resistant to all viruses, I'm more confident about that than I was. But again, that if you've read the first edition, you'd be disappointed if that's the mind-boggling thing 10 years later, um, even if it is. Uh, so I, I, I have to say I don't, I don't know what it is. I am writing uh, a book, uh, which actually I started before Regenesis. Um, but it, it's so wacky, that and I can't really say much about it. But anyway there will be a book, <laughs> but it, it I, just I know you can't, I can't say much of... go ahead, go ahead,
2: uh, no, I was just going to say, I can't believe we skipped over pig 3.0 so nonchalantly. Um, you got to tell us what 2.0 is
0: and, uh, and how those pigs are doing and yeah. a little bit of context might be really interesting for the group on the goals of that project.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, thank you for, for, for uh, uh, helping me communicate. Um, it, so the 2.0, well, so what, this is an old field, the idea of, of uh, xenotransplantation, goes back at least 20 years, and some of the originators, of pioneers of the field, um, hoped that, it, that changing one gene would be enough. There was one gene that had a huge impact, which is alpha 1,3 galactosyl transferase, uh, so... Um, but that was not nearly enough. I mean, that, that, that got us from rejection in a few hours to rejection in a few days. Um, but over the 20 years, everybody worked on their favorite gene and they accumulated a long list of genes, their wish list. And, and the pioneers invited us once, when we invented, uh, co-invented CRISPR to, to join in and uh, edit multiple genes. And so it eventually got to 42 genetic changes uh, by 3.0. was a a boring intermediate. Uh, It was sort of halfway between 0 and 42. But uh, at 42, it's basically everybody's genetic wish list, all in one pig. And like I said, they're healthy. There's 2,000 of them. You don't get to 2,000 if they're not healthy, which is kind of a, and this is all germline, by the way. And and it will be in humans. So in a way, humans will be benefiting from germline CRISPR. whether that's what, what we meant when we say that it's uh, controversial uh, is not what we meant. But anyway, um, they are in clinical trials, uh, preclinical non-human primates at Massachusetts General Hospital. Jim Markman is heading that team, and it looks, looks good. Uh, you know, 300 plus day survival um, with sort of normal immune suppression. One of the problems with the early Zeno um, was that they would use zeno, uh, immunosuppression that would, wasn't uh, approved for humans. So,
0: a question just to kind of to pull on this thread a little bit, um, you've been working on you know versions, you know, pigs 1.0, 2.0, 2.0, 3.0, you know, xenotransplantation as a field has been around for, for decades, as you said, it's obviously made great advances. Uh, recently with some of these uh, new technologies and approaches. What are, what are some things, you know, you've been in the synthetic biology field, you know, uh, you know helped, you've helped create this field. Um, what are some of the things that work in synthetic biology that like, not to sound simplistic, but that you can't believe they actually work? And what are some things in this field that don't work yet that you can't believe we haven't figured out how to make work yet? Because I think for a lot of folks, Externally, like they don't realize how hard biology is. Um, you know, things take time. So I'd love to just get your sense, as someone who's on the bleeding edge, of what, what's surprising that works and what's surprising that doesn't work
1: yet. Well, so um, one of the things that doesn't quite work yet uh, that we, that uh, is a really good... Uh, homologous recombination, where we get precise editing, where we can swap in big chunks of DNA um, into, say, human cells. Um, Even though the very first paper we published on CRISPR uh, did involve homologous recombination, it was at sort of 8%. uh, And you can do better now, but not that much better. And there's a lot of uh, incorrect things that happen along with that 8%, a lot of genome vandalism, I call it. So that's, that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is even m- m- more uh, uh, or similarly disappointing so far, all these things are so far um, uh, caveats, is um, what, st- what one of the things that was considered part of the dawn of synthetic biology, not, not really my version of it, but, but still something that's recognizable as genetic circuits. There's this whole metaphor with comparing synthetic biology with um, electronics and computer science. And we, we all wanted to make circuits. And it still is hard to make circuits to do something. You know, these kind of sophisticated circuits with multiple levels of uh, even basic Boolean logic um, haven't produced much useful yet. But I'm sure that will, may have already changed and I didn't notice. Um, so those are two things that, um, Um, I'm not sure. It's not that I wouldn't believe that they don't work yet. I can believe it. It's just disappointing and a little bit surprising. Um, George,
2: do you you think it's an issue of it not working, or is that it's an issue that's not really useful for doing something right now, even if it could work?
1: Yeah, well, there's a fine line there. uh, So, uh, If it worked really well, there'd be useful things you could do with it. So the fact you can't do something useful is indicative that it's not working well, and vice versa. So, um, yeah, I, I think the thing that is mildly surprising again, it's it's hard to say that you're totally shocked about this, but is um, is how well libraries work as synthetic libraries. I mean, I, I I've come to think of synthetic libraries as um kind of like a computer peripheral it's like quantum computing it's if you want to do a really hard problem that uh like figure out how to target adeno associated viral vectors to one tissue and not all the other tissues um then you might might use these synthetic uh libraries so rather than random mutagenesis you do highly directed and we just published a paper a few days ago where we Showed that we can make up to 29 missense mutations simultaneously uh, without killing the, the virus, um, while you know when you do sort of random mutagenesis, it's hard to do more than four at a time. So I'm sure so some people tools, in the, the room will getting... be shocked by that. Some won't. Yeah. So what
0: you're saying is that I mean the tools are getting better. So therefore, I mean this is probably an
1: obvious conclusion. The capabilities
0: are therefore getting better. So the things that haven't worked, um, haven't worked yet, but, but may, may in time
1: um, as our capabilities improve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the other thing that's a little bit surprising, yes, you asked me to sustain this uh, I mean, it's going, it's going quite a bit faster than Moore's Law by a few measures. Uh, and so you might expect it to burn out faster. But it doesn't really show much signs of letting up. It's, it's, uh, I mean, ultimately, both of them fail when you start getting to atomic scale. But since there's such high parallelism, it's so inexpensive to make trillions of uh, members of a library, um, it's not so easy to make trillions of chips or even components on chips.
0: so uh talking about advances um, you know one of the comments i've you've one of the arguments I've heard you make in the past which I find like I found counterintuitively counterintuitive but also very compelling is this idea that in this field in your field we see advances um, uh, a lot of the advances that we see happen like in these constrained moments in time you know where you um, you talk about um, how, when we had restrictive environments like moratoriums for recombinant DNA or embryonic stem cells, the field was still able to advance in spite of, or maybe even because of that restricted environment. Um, and so we're, we've been in this pandemic now for, you know, call it a year. Uh, and on the one hand, like, uh, well, not on the one hand, I think it's been remarkable that we've seen the speed by which we've been able to develop vaccines you know, against COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2. You know, we have three authorized vaccines now here in the United States. Two of them are on an entirely new platform, right? And the mRNA, um, uh, there are mRNA-based vaccines. Do you think, um, number one, is it pretty obvious that we wouldn't have these vaccines this fast if we weren't forced to get there because of the pandemic and the situation that it's caused? And number two, do you think that the protracted lockdowns and you know all of the other, you know, sort of factors around the pandemic might have other effects that aren't obvious yet in terms of advancing the field or advancing science?
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely a, a time of revolution. Uh, you know, what happens when an asteroid hits Earth is you get a revolution, an evolutionary revolution. Um, The same thing is going to happen with something, you you just, by every definition, this is a revolutionary time. Uh, It's a a very unfortunate and very expensive experiment that that we're doing. Uh, You know, it's uh, probably 16 trillion dollars, maybe just for the United States alone. Uh, The United States is probably going to be the hardest hit, would be my guess. It looks like it's so far about 400 times more deaths per capita in the United States. Than in places like China, and uh, that so we're learning lessons. Uh, it it, uh, it could, I think we could. We're going to pat, uh, inevitably. We biotechers are going to pat ourselves on the backs for vaccines and drugs, uh, and other high tech things, uh, high biotech things, um, uh, diagnostics that use. Uh, all kinds of creative uh, enzymes. But uh, the real revolution is uh, in, in masks and social distancing. That's what saved all the countries that did the best. Um, you also need vaccines, definitely. Um, but if, if we were to take something home, would in fact, the masks we had have been terrible for the most part. Uh, but using them would have been better than nothing. And we should have um, had better mass. I mean, this is not rocket science uh, to make a mass that actually seals around your neck uh, and has HEPA filters um, better than the N95s. But anyway. So for the, uh, for the folks
0: that don't follow you on Twitter um, uh, or, or on Instagram, and, and by the way, if you don't follow George Church on Twitter and Instagram, you should remedy that now. But um, you posted a photo um just the other day on a mask um and it was it's basically a a mask that you can see your entire face and you had some sort of straw in your mouth what's the backstory there
1: yeah that's microclimate uh is uh and um it it does what what i had been uh trying to do uh which is makes a seal around the neck where all people have almost no hair and uh, a good seal, and it has uh, full face availability, um, which is a, a thing that you want. And it has two input filters and two output filters, and and, uh, um, th- and those, in principle, those filters could be um, much higher quality than the uh, than the ones that are in the 95 mass. But the main thing is having a good seal around it, and and the the, the batteries last for. For eight hours, and uh, it's great for flights. Uh, um, so, uh, did you make I, it? Did you make that? No, 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 no. I made prototypes that were essentially competing with it, um, but it it's way, way better than anything that I did. Um, but it's the same idea: sealing around the neck uh, and having the whole face uh, visible. And you can um, eat and
0: drink with it on. I saw.
1: Right? I think that's an important thing to do. That isn't one of the things that they stress, uh, but I think it's important to be able to do that because if you take your whole mask off uh, you, to eat and drink, you, you kind of defeat the purpose. Um, but yeah, you can definitely, uh, as long as it's, it's in liquid form or you have some other way of uh, sneaking in solids. It's not, that's not the, the perfect thing. Also, there's a little, it's, it's a little noisy, uh, so it's better for at reading and working and sleeping. Uh, but uh, but you can, you, you can have you can have good conversations. It's, it's perfectly possible once you get used to it. And so but, at the beginning but,
0: of the pandemic, sorry, go ahead, George. No, no,
1: go ahead. Beginning of the pandemic.
0: I was going to say, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, uh, it was reported, and there was this great article with a great photo of you um, giving yourself a DIY vaccine. Um, so number one was that were those reports accurate? Did you in fact, you know, vaccinate yourself with a do it yourself COVID vaccine? And, and if so, uh, have you, or would you still get sort of one of the official ones uh, now? Like, do you consider that you were vaccinated with by that, like effectively, or are you still going to get one of the, one of the
1: official so, ones? So that was a very small study called rad uh, the brainchild of Preston, Estep and others. And, uh, The preliminary data is that there seems to be some immunity in the mucosal nasal uh, um, sector, but not in the blood. So it would not be recognized by the standard blood test. Uh, On the other hand, you might imagine that that, uh, nasal and mucosal immunity might be a good thing. Um, So yes, I, I was vaccinated uh, we went through n- nine generations, very, very fast generations. Many of them were th- within a few, uh, a couple of weeks of uh, of a paper that would come out. So paper comes out on, on you know, T-cell immu- immunity updates, and we could update the vaccine. So, so th- these generations were happening every few weeks. Um, so that was a positive side, very inexpensive, about 25 cents a dose, um, but of course that would, that would uh, go up to, with uh, the cost of clinical trials and uh, marketing and so on. Um, there, were, there was surprisingly little uh, effort on, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't think this is a, a done deal yet. Uh, I am taking the, the, the conventional, now quote, conventional uh, messenger RNA vaccines very soon. Um, but, um, and uh, you know, I'd be happy to take them all. Eventually, once everybody else gets theirs, um, um, very much pro-vaccine. Uh, you know, I, I've got, I've had the rabies vaccine, for example. You know, because I had a close encounter with a bat. Um, love vaccines.
0: <laughs> and what and what was in the in, in the version of the DIY vaccine you took?
1: So the, the, the three innovative things were the nasal delivery. So only about five out of 300 of the initial vaccine trials were, in, uh, were nasal. Uh, second, it was uh, the, the carrier adjuvant was chitosan, which is a common uh, polysaccharide in, in many arthropods like shrimp. And um, Uh, And the third thing, it was was, you could customize the the peptides involved. So you can avoid peptides that might cause uh, antibody enhancements. You can uh, focus on the ones that uh, maybe would be uh, um, buried or not properly displayed, um, etc. I mean, in principle, it has advantage. Uh, Doing something that, that is as close as possible to the natural virus isn't necessarily the right thing if the virus has been gaming the system. So synthetic can be better. In any case, it was, it was, it just, our, it was just our shot on goal, and, uh, and time will tell. It, I hope that COVID is as easy as smallpox, polio, mumps, measles, and so on, uh, but it could be as hard as HIV, tuberculosis, and malaria. We don't know. So yet. actually, on, we,
0: on that on that topic, do you think uh, do we have a potential? Um, you know, maybe silver bullet is obviously overstating it, but do we have a potentially important new weapon with these mRNA uh, uh, vaccine uh, technology to go after these these viruses that have evaded our efforts to make vaccines, or is it you know it's the complexity of biology and yes, it's a new it's a new technology, but it's not it's not going to be the obvious thing that helps us solve those unsolved problems?
1: I think it's totally justified that, that, uh, that we're giving messenger RNA therapies and vaccines their day in the sun. Um, you know, sunlight is the best uh, way to figure out whether something is good or not, um, but I don't think it's established yet. I don't think that suddenly if we started using messenger RNA on tuberculosis, malaria, and HIV, they're gonna suddenly cave in. Necessarily, I hope so. it would be great, but I I, just—it's just uh, another way of doing the delivery um, of the antigens. Got it. Um, So if I could, I
0: was going to shift a little bit. Um, You know, we've been in this pandemic for a year. Um, You know, one of the things that you're most well known for um, is the your incredible lab. At, you know, at, at Harvard Medical School. Um, first of all, is the lab functioning right now? Or are you guys, do, do folks go into the lab, or is everyone working remotely? How are you managing through this?
1: Um, well, through we, this we, were, we were fully operational throughout. We, we were never down because uh, a fraction of the lab was uh, working on COVID-19, diagnostics, therapeutics, and vaccines. Uh, number one. And number two, a huge fraction of the lab has always been computational. So that, that can be done pretty much anywhere. Um, um, since summer, early summer, uh, we've been doing shifts, which because we had a, a big lab when they did return, when they, when the people that weren't working on COVID returned, we had to do two shifts. Now we're trying to transition to one, but yeah, we were, all, our lab was already at pretty okay. high density. So um, speaking, of,
0: speaking of high density, uh, one of the, the things that uh, uh, you're very well known for, as I said at the outset, was how prolific your lab is in, in spinning out um, startups. Um, and, you know, I think it was back in 2019 or might've been 2020, um, Nature Biotech um, published a news feature on you and, and your lab. And the news feature was titled um, "One Year, One Lab, 16 Spinouts," and it had, in, you know, in sort of the the lead there, it said it started out by saying, "In one year, George Church's group spun out 16 different startups. What explains the lab's incredible output of entrepreneurs?" Question mark. Now the problem is Nature Biotech is behind a paywall. So I don't know the answer. So can you give us the answer? What explains your lab's incredible output of entrepreneurs?
1: I'll send you a copy of the answer. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> the, I don't remember their answer, but I would say my answer would be. I mean, the first, you know, uh, immodest thing would be to say it's me, and I can say it's not me, or at least not me. In 1986, when I started the lab, I think. Uh, I was particularly ineffective, and most of my ideas were about 100 degrees off, maybe 179 degrees off, Um, and and most of the people in my lab thought I was completely nuts talking about nanopores and, you know, nanogrids and uh, sequencing all the people and all the organisms, Uh, and they were probably right, Uh, but anyway, I think, what might partially explain it is uh, is the concentration of good people that comes just from being at Harvard and MIT. So, you know, I'm uh, lucky enough to get PhD candidates from both uh, schools and multiple programs. So, And then that acts as an attractant for <clears throat> good postdocs as well. And there's a kind of a positive feedback loop that starts. And when you start you know, compounding interest since nineteen eighty-six, eventually you get kind of a beacon that that uh you know and and maybe a few lucky breaks, uh next gen sequencing and next gen synthesis and next gen editing, um, and a bunch of multiplexing uh and libraries. And and anyway it's a positive feedback loop. I think that's the simplest explanation. Uh also I, I think, yeah, yeah, that's probably
0: it. But it's, it's interesting because, like, if you know, I've, I've I, I, and I know we as, as a group here have had the good fortune of getting to know many of the folks that have come out of your lab, and in many cases, I've had the opportunity to work with them and, and even invest in them and support them. Um, one of the things that I find incredibly consistent uh, when you talk to uh, church lab alums is, you know, how they credit. Um, you know, sort of the audacity or the, or the ambition of their, of their vision or their ideas to their time in the lab. And so, you know, and the question for you is, you know, is that something you're selecting for when you're looking for people to join your lab that you have the benefit of, of, you know, of of these incredible institutions that are around you to select from and to pull talent from, or is that something you're teaching in the lab or, or, or or
1: is it both? Uh, well, it's both, obviously. I mean, that's a setup. But it, 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 it is, um, <laughs> it's not something that necessarily I teach, but the lab teaches. Uh, it's kind of each generation, it gets a little more audacious, and they teach each other. Um, and the alum come back and teach us. Uh, they're like. Uh, older siblings uh, that, uh, that like their younger siblings and and teach them stuff and it, it's just wonderful to watch uh this uh this uh, encouragement that occurs and, and and to some extent uh i think the culture that we have is not one of think 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 you know uh, hiring a bunch of geniuses and thinking about something until you have the perfect experiment that quintessential experiment and publishing it, it's more a matter of taking a, a fantastic number of shots on goal. So it's not like if I had to choose between the one perfect experiment and doing a, a million failures with maybe one success, uh, I'd pick the second one because that means you've, you've actually winnowed through a lot more interesting, almost interesting things. So, it's, it's more uh, trial and error, and that's, that's kind of embodied in the whole libraries, that if you make a library instead of testing one hypothesis, you can test a million or a billion at once, and that's essentially what we do both in, in our multiplex experiments and uh, in our life. Is one
0: of those multiplex experiments that you do, um, is, you're going you're gonna to accuse me of
1: giving you another setup. If I just stopped with the word both, that would have been cheap for both of us.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so here's another setup. Um, you, you talk about multiplexing experiments. How do you decide what, or how do you all collectively decide like what, what is the work and provenance of the lab versus what should be spun out into its own company? Like is that, a, is that something that's deterministic or is that something that just sort of emerges organically?
1: well there's um there's a little organic there's a, there's a little bit of a case by case um i think we uh, developed a kind of a collective intuition as to when something is too early um and we try not to be ahead of our time too much uh, anyway uh because that's it's not as cool as it sounds uh but uh, with, 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 you know, a lot of our stuff is aimed at bridging pure science that we do with technology that we, you know, kind of crazy technology with some societal benefit, um, medical or commercial, what have you. And uh, so they're, they're almost always um, destined to be uh, to go that way. And the postdocs that, you know, are co-patenting, you know, the, the, the key to having a big flow uh, of companies is to have a big flow of patents. And the postdocs that patent it, when they patent it, they already know that it's, that it's moving in that direction. They just have to assess whether um, they would prefer to work on their own invention or go work for you know somebody else's company. And increasingly, they've been voting for themselves. Uh, to, to run their own companies. Um, oh, we're, we're very lucky that they have been because
0: I, I, yeah, I mean, just thanks. the flow of talent, has been incredible.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, George, I'd love to jump in and ask you like, what would you like to see other universities do or other labs do uh, to sort of try to improve that flow of talent? Uh, I'm, I'm curious to get your take there. I mean, I, everyone's gonna do things different ways, but are, are there any systemic changes that you'd like to see?
1: Well, this is actually a fairly frequently asked question. You know, there's, there's, I, I yeah. we get a flow of people. Not to say it's not a good question. We get a flow of people, um, you know, big shots coming in to figure out what's the secret sauce at the Vees Institute or in my lab, yep. and uh, and some, yeah, some of it I think it you can take away with you in your briefcase and some, in your head, uh, but so, some of it I mentioned. You know, alluded to is the concentration that occurs. You know, There's something to be said for anti-elitism, where we spread the wealth evenly everywhere. There's something to be said for really highly concentrating, making a room full of the best and brightest, um, or making a university full of them. And so having Harvard and MIT in such close proximity, and they really are amazingly close. They're, they're actually intertwined in that there's a bunch of us that have appointments at both universities. While I've been uh, at, you know, I was a postdoc at UCSF, and I participated in that culture from Berkeley to Stanford. And it's a lot further from Berkeley to UCSF to Stanford than it is between Harvard and MIT. Um, They have programs like QB3, which I think think was a good idea, is a good idea. but anyway, so that's, that's the hard part about uh, taking it away. But some of the other lessons, you know, like you know, it, creating an environment that tolerates and even encourages failures, millions of failures, um, where you just bounce right back, or you do them all in parallel and something comes, comes out.
2: Those are um, the multiplex experiments now on the lab scale.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that could be taken home by, by many uh, many groups uh, no matter where they are um do a quick shameless pu- plug but george was nice
0: enough to sit down with me on the um, on our a16z podcast i think it was almost exactly two years ago to this day where we talked a little bit about that sort of that magic um the the name of the of the of the episode was what's in the water in the church lap for that very reason because it's like one of those things it's hard to um uh, it's really hard to uh, you know Articulate and, and certainly very hard to replicate, um, and it's it's been a, a remarkable thing to to participate in and to observe from a distance.
1: Yeah, we're certainly not trying to keep it to ourselves. You know, if to the extent that we don't understand it, we're still welcoming people to come visit, and, and if they can figure it out, that's great.